Chapter Eight, Part Two of Hypatia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eugene Smith. Hypatia by Charles Kingsley. Chapter Eight The East Wind. Part Two. Quote, it is false, blasphemous, the scriptures cannot lie, end quote, cried a voice from the farther end of the room. It was Philemon's. He had been listening to the whole lecture, and yet not so much listening as watching, in bewilderment, the beauty of the speaker, the grace of her action, the melody of her voice, and last, but not least, the maze of her rhetoric as it glittered before his mind's eye like a cobweb diamonded with dew. A sea of new thoughts and questions, if not of doubts, came rushing in at every sentence on his acute Greek intellect, all the more plentifully and irresistibly, because his speculative faculty was as yet altogether waste and empty, undefended by any scientific culture from the inrushing flood. For the first time in his life he found himself face to face with the root questions of all thought. Quote, what am I and where? End quote. Quote, what can I know? End quote. And in the half-terrified struggle with them, he had all but forgotten the purpose for which he entered the lecture hall. He felt that he must break the spell. Was she not a heathen and a false prophetess? Here was something tangible to attack and half an indignation at the blasphemy, half in order to force himself into action, he had sprung up and spoken. A yell arose, quote, Turn the monk out! End quote. Quote, Throw the rustic through the window! End quote. Cried a dozen young gentlemen. Several of the most valiant began to scramble over the benches up to him and Philemon was congratulating himself on the near approach of a glorious martyrdom, when Hypatia's voice, calm and silvery, stifled the tumult in a moment. Quote, Let the youth listen, gentlemen. He's but a monk and a plebeian, and knows no better. He has been taught thus. Let him sit here quietly, and perhaps we may be able to teach him otherwise. End quote. And without interrupting, even by a change of tone, the thread of her discourse, she continued, quote, Listen then to a passage from the sixth book of the Iliad, in which last night I seemed to see glimpses of some mighty mystery. You know it well, yet I will read it to you. The very sound and pomp of that great verse may tune our souls to a fit key for the reception of lofty wisdom. For well said, Abamnon the teacher, that, Quote, the soul consisted first of harmony and rhythm, and ere it gave itself to the body, had listened to the divine harmony. Therefore it is that, when, after having come into a body, it hears such melodies as most preserve the divine footstep of harmony, it embraces such, and recollects from them that divine harmony, and is impelled to it, and finds its home in it, and shares of it as much as it can share. End quote and therewith fell on Philemon's ear, for the first time, the mighty thunder-roll of Homer's verse. Quote, 
So spoke the stewardess, but Hector rushed from the house, the same way back down stately streets, through the broad city, to the scion gates, whereby he must go forth toward the plain. There running toward him came Andromache, his ample-dowered wife, Etion's child. Etion the great-hearted, he who dwelt in Thebe under Placos, in the woods of Placos, ruling over Kilic men. His daughter wedded Hector brazen-helmed, and met him then, and with her came a maid, who bore in arms a playful-hearted babe, an infant still, akin to some fair star, only and well-loved child of Hector's house, whom he had named Scamandrios, but the rest Astyanax, because his sire alone upheld the wheel of Ilion the Holy. He smiled in silence looking on his child, but she stood close to him, with many tears, and hung upon his hand, and spoke, and called him, quote, My hero, thy great heart will wear thee out, thou pitiest not thine infant child, nor me the hapless, soon to be thy widow. The Greeks will slay thee, falling one and all upon thee, but to me were sweeter far, having lost thee, to die. No cheer to me will come thenceforth, if thou shouldst meet thy fate. Woes only. Mother have I none, nor sire. For that my sire divine Achilles slew, and wasted utterly the pleasant homes of Killick folk in Thebe lofty-walled, and slew Etion with the sword, yet spared to strip the dead. Awe kept his soul from that. Therefore he burnt him in his graven arms, and heaped a mound above him, and around the damsels of the aegis holding Zeus, the nymphs who haunt the upland, planted elms. And seven brothers bred with me in the halls, all in one day went down to Hades there. For all of them swift-foot Achilles slew, beside the lazy kind snow-white sheep. And her, my mother, who of late was queen beneath the woods of Places, he brought here among his other spoils, yet set her free again, receiving ransom rich and great but artemis whose bow is all her joy smote her to death within her father's halls hector so thou art father to me now mother and brother and husband fair and strong oh come now pity me and stay thou here upon the tower nor make thy child an orphan and me thy wife a widow range the men here by the fig tree where the city lies lowest, and where the wall can well be scaled. For here three times the best have tried the assault round either Ajax and Adomineus, and round the Atridae both, and Tydeus' son, whether some cunning seer taught them craft, or their own spirit stirred and drove them on. Then spake tall Hector. With the glancing helm all this too I have watched, my wife, Yet much I hold in dread the scorn of Trojan men and Trojan women, with their trailing shawls, if, like a coward, I should skulk from war. Beside, I have no lust to stay. I have learnt I to be bold, and lead the van of fight, to win my father and myself a name. For well I know, at heart and in my thought, the day will come when Ilios the Holy shall lie in heaps, and Priam, 
and the folk of ashes beard priam perish all but yet no woe to come to trojan men not even to hecabe nor priam king nor to my brothers who shall roll in dust many and fair beneath the strokes of foes so moves me as doth thine when thou shalt go weeping led off by some brass-harnessed reek robbed of the daylight of thy liberty to weave an argos at another's loom or bear the water of Mycenaeus home or hyperia with unseemly toils while heavy doom constrains thee and perchance the folk may say who see thy tears run down quote, this was the wife of hector best in fight at ilium of horse-taming trojan men so will they say perchance while unto thee now grief will come for such a husband's loss who might have warded off the day of thrall but may the soil be heaped above my corpse before i hear thy shriek and see thy shame he spoke and stretched his arms to take the child but back the child upon his nurse's breast shrank crying frightened at his father's looks fearing the brass and crest of horse's hair which waved above the helmet terribly then out that father dear and mother laughed and glorious hector took the helmet off and laid it gleaming on the ground and kissed his darling child and danced him in his arm and spoke in prayer to zeus and all the gods zeus and ye other gods o grant that this my child like me may grow the champion here as good in strength and rule with might in troy that men may say quote, the boy is better far than was his sire quote, when he returns from war bearing a gory harness having slain a foeman and his mother's heart rejoice thus saying on the hands of his dear wife he laid the child and she received him back in fragrant bosom smiling through her tears Quote, such is the myth do you fancy that in it homer meant to hand down to the admiration of ages such earthly commonplaces as a mother's brute affection and the terrors of an infant surely the deeper insight of the philosopher may be allowed without the reproach of fancifulness to see in it the adumbration of some deeper mystery the elect soul for instance is not its name astyanax king of the city by the fact of its ethereal parentage the leader and lord of all around it though it knows it not a child as yet it lies upon the fragrant bosom of its mother nature the nurse and yet the enemy of man andromache as the poet well names her because she fights with that being when grown to man's estate whom as a child she nourished fair is she yet unwise pampering us after the fashion of mothers with weak indulgences fearing to send us forth into the great realities of speculation there to forget her in the pursuit of glory she would have us while away our prime within the harem and play for ever round her knees and has not the elect soul a father too whom it knows not hector he who is without unconfined unconditioned by nature yet its husband the all-pervading plastic soul informing organizing whom men call zeus the lawgiver ether the fire osiris the life-giver whom here 
the poet has set forth as the defender of the mystic city the defender of harmony and order and beauty throughout the universe apart sits his great father priam the first of existences father of many sons the absolute reason unseen tremendous immovable in distant glory yet himself amenable to that abysmal unity which homer calls fate the source of all which is yet in itself nothing without predicate unnameable from it and for it the universal soul thrills through the whole creation doing the behests of that reason from which it overflowed unwillingly into the storm and crowd of material appearances warring with the brute forces of gross matter crushing all which is foul and dissonant to itself and clasping to its bosom the beautiful and all wherein it discovers its own reflex impressing on it its signature reproducing from it its own likeness whether star or demon or soul of the elect and yet as the poet hints in anthropomorphic language haunted all the while by sadness weighed down amid all its labours by the sense of a fate by the thought of that first one from whom the soul is originally descended from whom it and its father the reason before it parted themselves when they dared to think and act and assert their own free will and in the meanwhile alas hector the father fights around while his children sleep and feed and he is away in the wars and they know him not know not that they the individuals are but parts of him the universal and yet at moments oh thrice blessed they whose celestial parentage has made such moments part of their appointed destiny at moments flashes on the human child the intuition of the unutterable secret in the spangled glory of the summer night in the roar of the nile flood sweeping down fertility in every wave in the awful depths of the temple shrine in the wild melodies of old orphic singers or before the images of those gods of whose perfect beauty the divine theosophists of greece caught a fleeting shadow and with the sudden might of artistic ecstasy smote it as by an enchanter's wand into an eternal sleep of snowy stone in these there flashes on the inner eye a vision beautiful and terrible of a force an energy a soul an idea one and yet millionfold rushing through all created things like the wind across a lyre thrilling the strings into celestial harmony one life-blood through the million veins of the universe from one great unseen heart whose thunderous pulses the mind hears far away beating for ever in the abysmal solitude beyond the heavens and the galaxies beyond the spaces and the times themselves but veins and runnels from its all-teeming sea happy thrice happy they who once have dared even though breathless blinded with tears of awful joy struck down upon their knees in utter helplessness as they feel themselves but dead leaves in the wind which sweeps the universe happy they who have dared to gaze if but for an instant on the terror of that glorious pageant 
who have not, like the young Astyanics, clung shrieking to the breast of Mother Nature, scared by the heaven-wide flash of Hector's arms and the glitter of his rainbow crest, happy, thrice happy, even though their eyeballs, blasted by excess of light, wither to ashes in their sockets. Were it not a noble end to have seen Zeus, and die like Semele, burnt up by his glory? Happy, thrice happy, though their mind reel from the divine intoxication, and the hogs of Circe call them henceforth madmen and enthusiasts. Enthusiasts they are, for deity is in them, and they in it. For the time, this burden of individuality vanishes, and recognizing themselves as portions of the universal soul, they rise upward, through and beyond that reason from whence the soul proceeds, to the fount of all, the ineffable and supreme one, and seeing it, become by that act portions of its essence. They speak no more, but it speaks in them, and their whole being, transmuted by that glorious sunlight into whose rays they have dared, like the eagle, to gaze without shrinking, becomes an harmonious vehicle for the words of deity, and passive itself utters the secrets of the immortal gods. What wonder, if to the brute mass they seen as dreamers? Be it so. Smile, if you will, but ask me not to teach you things unspeakable, above all sciences, which the word-battle of dialectic, the discursive struggles of reason, can never reach, but which must be seen only, and when seen, confessed to be unspeakable. Hence, thou disputer of the academy, hence, thou sneering cynic, hence, thou sense-worshipping stoic, who fanciest that the soul is to derive her knowledge from those material appearances which she herself creates, hence, and yet, no, stay and sneer, if you will. It is but a little time, a few days longer in this prison-house of our degradation, and each thing shall return to its own fountain, the blood drop to the abysmal heart, and the water to the river, and the river to the shining sea, and the dewdrop which fell from heaven shall rise to heaven again, shaking off the dust grains which weighed it down, thawed from the earth-frost which chained it here to herb and sward upward and upward even through stars and suns through gods and through the parents of the gods pure and pure through successive lives till it enters the nothing which is the all and finds its home at last End quote. and the speaker stopped suddenly her eyes glistening with tears her whole figure trembling and dilating with rapture she remained for a moment motionless, gazing earnestly at her audience, as if in hopes of exciting in them some kindred glow, and then, recovering herself, added, in a more tender tone, not quite unmixed with sadness, quote, Go now, my pupils, Hypatia has no more for you today. Go now, and spare her at least, woman as she is, after all the shame of finding that she has given you too much, and lifted the veil of Isis before eyes which are not enough purified to behold the glory of the goddess. Farewell. 
End quote. She ended, and Philemon, the moment that the spell of her voice was taken off him, sprang up and hurried out through the corridor into the street. So beautiful, so calm and merciful to him, so enthusiastic towards all which was noble. Had not she, too, spoken of the unseen world, of the hope of immortality, of the conquest of the spirit over the flesh, just as a Christian might have done? Was the gulf between them so infinite? If so, why had her aspirations awakened echoes in his own heart? Echoes, too, just since such as the prayers and lessons of the Laura used to awaken. If the fruit was so like, must not the root be like also? Could that be a counterfeit? That a minister of Satan in the robes of an angel of light? Light, at least, it was purity, simplicity, courage, earnestness, tenderness, flashed out from eye, lip, gesture. A heathen who disbelieved? What was the meaning of it all? But the finishing stroke yet remained, which was to complete the utter confusion of his mind. For before he had gone fifty yards up the street, his little friend of the fruit basket, whom he had not seen since he vanished under the feet of the mob in the gateway of the theatre, clutched him by the arm and burst forth, breathless with running. Quote, the gods eat their favors on those who, who, who least deserve them. Rash and insolent rustic, and this is the reward of thy madness. Off with you, said Philemon, who had no mind at the moment to renew his acquaintance with the little porter. But the guardian of parasols kept a firm hold on his sheepskin. Fool! Hypatia herself commands. Yes, you will see her, have speech with her, while I, I the illuminated, I the appreciating, I, I the obedient, I, I the adoring, who for these three years past have groveled in the kennel that the hem of her garment might touch the tip of my little finger. I, I, I... What do you want, madman? She calls for thee, insensate wretch. Theon sent me, breathless at once with running and with envy. Go, favorite of the unjust gods. Who is Theon? Her father, ignorant. He commands thee to be at her house, here opposite, tomorrow at the third hour. Hear and obey. There they are coming out of the museum, and all the parasols will get wrong. Oh, miserable me! And the poor little fellow rushed back again, while Philemon, at his wit's end between dread and longing, started off, and ran the whole way home to the Serapeum, regardless of carriages, elephants, and foot-passengers, and having been knocked down by a surly porter, and left a piece of his sheepskin between the teeth of a spiteful camel, neither of which insults he had time to resent, arrived at the archbishop's house, found Peter the reader, and tremblingly begged an audience from Cyril. End of chapter 8